0: All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh, my God, I smell shenanigans. I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited.
1: Yeah, baby,
0: yeah. You ever dance with the devil in the pants?
1: Inconceivable.
0: Kawabunga! I thought this was a party. It's two no skills in a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. Next level.
1: Well, everybody, who wants to see a little play about Hitler, huh? Welcome to Two Nerdskis in a Podcast, everybody. The one show where two nerdskis come together and talk about everything pop, culture, and entertainment. Of course, as always, I'm one of your nerdskis. This is Eric. That could have sounded a lot better, but okay.
0: (laughs) And uh, this is Jeff.
1: And welcome, everybody, to another fine installment of the show. Jeff, you sound sexy and beautiful as always. Thank you. (laughs) All right, everybody, before we actually get started into the show proper, let us take a look at the recommendation section. So this is a little segment we do at the very beginning of every episode and talk about at least a couple things or two that we saw or whatnot or a rewatch or any video games we replayed TV shows, rewatched, movies, and basically tell them, hey, this is pretty cool. Check this stuff out. So Um, this week, Jeff, what do you have to recommend? Or uh, what do you have to recommend?
0: Honestly, I haven't watched shit recently, (laughs) Uh, but I, I did end up watching, uh, uh, Godzilla versus monster zero while, uh, while intoxicated. So, uh, that was actually quite a lovely experience. Which one is that one? It was the second one to feature King Ghidorah. Uh, it's uh, it's, the, it's the only one that Godzilla's in space. I'm kind of surprised that they never did that again.
1: Hmm. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I know I think I know the one you're talking about. Um And
0: actually it's uh, it came out uh, a year before Star Trek. So the the more 65, you know. huh? Yep, Interesting. Yep.
1: All right. Well then uh Jeff, you're going to like this recommendation I have. Um so I've been feeling a little bit macho and Manly as fuck (laughs) in terms of uh, my palate. So I was rewatching some action movies and the one I want to discuss the Expendables trilogy, a fucking great time to say the least. Just seeing all these like great action stars from your childhood, the eighties through the nineties reunite and get together and uh, kick some ass. It's just beautiful um we actually have a personal history with this tr- uh trilogy at least with the second one which is the best one expendables 2 uh, I,
0: n- I never even saw the third one because i didn't give a shit <laughs> the moment uh, well, yeah, way yeah the the moment i saw it was pg-13 i'm like fuck that
1: there is an r-rated edition of the film if i'm not mistaken um but expendables 2 you and i saw that in theaters and god damn it did we enjoy that shit that was
0: wonderful that's uh, um, because the uh I mean I haven't seen the first one in probably like eight years, so I don't know how it holds up now, but I just remember kind of being bored with it and not and it didn't really leave much of an impression. But the second one was more or less what I wanted from that first movie, because I've I've rewatched Expendables 2 a decent amount of times. Uh so that that's the only one that really counts to me. But eh maybe the first one, maybe the first one grows on me. And maybe the third one is, uh, I mean, aside from having the worst poster in cinematic history, uh, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's passable.
1: Um, well, there is the extended director's cut of, uh, the expendables, the first one, because I know Sly, obviously it, it, this is Sylvester Stallone's baby, um, the trilogy, but he, he produced it the entire, the whole thing. And then, um, I think he definitely wrote and directed the first one, but the second, I mean, the second and the third movies, those weren't directed by him. I think he definitely helped produce them. And then that was about it in terms of, uh, behind the scenes work from him. I think maybe he had a hand in writing them a bit, but, um, other
0: than, well, definitely like, uh, I think part of, uh, what made the second one so great was the director, the guy who directed fucking con air. Is that who that was? Simon, <laughs> Simon West.
1: Okay, so we probably should that, watch Conair at some so point. Much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you already know it's an amazing movie when like they even make a Chuck Norris joke in that movie.
0: <laughs> well, I hear that uh I've always heard rumblings of of a fourth movie and if they if that actually happens and they don't get Nicolas Cage, y'all fucked up royally.
1: I mean, they kind of I mean like it'd be curious to see how they would pull that off especially since since the, since everyone's pretty much older now at this point, like, well, Sloan Jet Li...
0: Stallone just made another fucking Rambo movie. He can do it.
1: This is true, but, I mean, like, Jet Li's been dealing with some health problems for the past several years. Um, well, I don't know was, what. He was, like,
0: barely in the second movie, and I don't know how much he was in the third one. Because he,
1: the reason why is because he was already committed to another movie at the time, and so um, he can only do that opening scene. Um, fun fact, so that fight scene he does in the opening of Expendables 2... That was done with his team in Hong Kong. And then they passed it over to um, they passed it over to the filmmaker. I mean, the crew. And they're like, fuck, this is great. And um, yeah, so and that's why we have uh, you Nan as Maggie Chan in the movie as a replacement for Jet Li for the rest of the movie. But, you know, seeing uh, seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme as (laughs) villain appropriately named in the movie was great seeing Van like,
0: Damme Dam chewing the fuck out of the scenery was wonderful.
1: Um, seeing him, seeing him and well we seeing, seeing, just seeing everybody, but especially seeing the big three, which are Stallone, Arnold and uh, Bruce Willis in the same shot together, shooting at terrorists in a fucking airport terminal is. Oh, beautiful. Especially you know? when Chuck Norris comes in later and they're like, uh, and then they start referencing each other's movies. Is like, I'll be back. You've been back enough. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'll be back and whatnot. Bruce Willis goes and he's like, Yippee ki yay! And then Chuck well, Norris well, stands.
0: It, it looked like that was uh, that was at a point when Bruce Willis looked like he actually enjoyed being in movies. That sure shit has not been the case ever since.
1: Nope, because he's been doing a shit ton of to video uh, movies ever since. What a shame what a shame yeah, he's basically he, become like he's basically become the steven seagal route he, or he's done the steven seagal route these days or, where basically
0: or, or nick cage but he but, but even nick cage like i think he's starting he's starting to like to, to turn things around uh because he's he seems to be in a lot of i mean like he'll still turn out uh turn out the occasional uh turd but at least like when uh when he comes out with a good movie like he knocks it out of the fucking park
1: so, that's right because um well yeah well so mandy which is a movie i really want to talk about I, yeah on I, the so, show. I still need
0: to see mandy um i mean pig is a fucking masterpiece uh you still need to see that
1: i hear willie's wonderland
0: is really bizarre so it, i i really dug it when i first saw it but then like i, I saw clips of it uh or like I, I saw some some reviews of it that kind of broke it down and it kind of made me realize, oh yeah, that it's like a five minute novelty that kind of gets old. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, Willie's wonderland. It's, it's okay. Uh, it, it definitely could have been better. And I think he has a, he has another movie that's supposed to be coming out pretty soon that apparently, uh, did really well at Sundance. Uh, mm. I, I'm blanking on the name, but, uh, yeah. I mean, if Nick Cage has, a uh, has if there's a movie starring nick cage that it that has like above like a 12 percent on rotten tomatoes chances are i'm gonna fu- chances are i'm gonna fucking watch it
1: well i mean i'm definitely looking forward to seeing or re-watching Mandy again for the show because i i mean so definitely towards definitely towards october we're definitely going to be starting to do a whole lot of more horror films oh just we, because have, we have a shit
0: load of movies to talk about in october
1: which reminds me, we should probably start planning for that then. Um, but anyways, folks, that's going to be it for the recommendation section. All right, Jeff, we're here to talk about Mel Brooks again, um, or rather just Gene Wilder. This is the first time we're talking about Mel Brooks on the show, um, and we are starting with his directorial debut, The Producers, which came out in 1967, It's and... Uh, so this definitely lives up to the hype. Um, so the basic idea of this is you have Max. I can't pronounce how the fuck you pronounce his name, but Zero Mostel as Max Ballystock. He was once one of the biggest names in all Broadway in terms of uh, producing. And now he's just leeching off of old women. And then his auditor, played by Gene Wilder, Discovers a dis- that he's missing two thousand dollars, and that if that's if that's reported or discovered, they're going to prison. So he's like, "All right, here's a surefire here's a surefire way to get away with it. Let's make a flop of a play. All right, springtime for Hitler. Let's do this. Uh, and uh, let's just say it's uh, it's quite the interesting movie. I think in the lo- grand scheme of things. And so, scene, and I didn't know this that I didn't know that it was uh, Mel Brooks's directorial debut. And I have to say um, he definitely deserved that uh, original screenplay Oscar, because this is, this is one of the, this is, this is an interesting comedy, mo- comical movie to say the least, but um, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff first, because I think this was also your first time watching this. So what did you think?
0: So this was one of those movies that I always heard about, but I knew absolutely nothing about I didn't know the I didn't know the premise. I all I knew that Gene Wilder was in it and it was directed by Mel Brooks and and actually kind of funny uh when I uh when I was watching it I really thought that the whole movie was a musical. So that's I was waiting for that and uh, I was thinking that too, yeah. And uh, so going in completely fresh essentially i uh i was curious to see how it would you know how the comedy would hold up and uh you know anything with gene wilder uh that i haven't seen i i want to see how he tackles that performance and this movie's so goddamn funny <laughs> yes it is <laughs> like so just, within the it, first within it, the it, first it, 5 minutes yeah oh yeah no it's uh it, it definitely like you see uh you definitely see the uh, the origins of Mel Brooks, right here. The uh, just the the brilliant comedic timing, the politically incorrect humor delivered beautifully. It's uh, I loved it.
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned the politically correct humor. So this was controversial from the start, apparently back in 1967. Because you know, come on, it's a, it's a they're basing a play around Hitler. Um, that's and the Nazis. That's not something uh, everyone's going to look at. Uh, lovingly and smilingly enough. And so apparently this movie got really mixed reviews at the time. And then over the course of the the next decades, um, it became a widely celebrated film. I mean, obviously, Mel Brooks got the Oscar for the best screenplay or original screenplay too. And then it became uh, part of the National Film Registry in 1996. Um, And then also... He went on to actually write a musical version, and then that version was adapted into a a film in two thousand and five with Nathan Lane and um, Matthew Broderick, who also started in the Broadway production itself. So, so yeah, um, this, yeah, it's not a, it's like when you think of the producers, you're the, the first thing you're probably not thinking. At least if this is the first time you're thinking, you're hearing about it, you're not thinking um oh so it's about a play about hitler that's only part of the story i mean like the moment so like the first time you the first time you see max with those two women especially with like when he's looking through the frames of the old woman he's like hold me touch me hold me touch me hold me touch me there it is <laughs> and then that woman, and then that old woman comes in i'm like i felt Incredibly uncomfortable watching it, but I think that's I think that's what they were going for was that uncomfortable comedy, especially when Gene Wilder, who's basically the audience's perspective and the straight man of the of the movie, he comes in, he's like, "Oh, well, this is awkward," and Max is like, "Get the hell out of (laughs) here!" And so, what I love is their first interaction, and so um, just seeing them, just seeing their banter back and forth, the chemistry already between zero and gene is like on another level i love how like so one of my favorite moments is when um is when uh max like he like splashes water all over leo and he's like i'm wet He slaps him on the face i'm in pain he's like he holds him up he's like stop stop don't hit me again i'm like
0: oh this, this you're in for a good time oh my god no my I, I think my sides were hurting right there like just based off gene wilder's delivery
1: <laughs> and then they go around town trying to see like hey check this out um like basically max is trying to basically win him over to do like def- um when to like be part of this play and be a fellow producer on it and so one of my favorite moments was actually uh So I have here in my notes, the moment when Leo agrees to take part, take part in this game, synced with the water fountain. Oh, beautiful. It's like, I'll do it. (laughs) Yes, I will do it. And then like, it's kind of just like, it's, it's like, it's almost like a sexual innuendo when he says, I'll do it. And just like seeing the water fountain just like explode. I'm like, uh, oh, Mel, (laughs) that's fucking comical gold of you in this case.
0: I see what you did there.
1: I've, yes, we did. And so what I, and so um it leads to the esteemed screen. So what they do is they're, so they're looking for, they're looking for the play that they need to uh, create. I mean, they're going to make a stage production of. Cause so the idea is that on Max's previous uh, play, um, there was a $2,000 discrepancy. And so um, if that's discovered, like I said earlier, uh, Max gets Max has to go to jail because uh, that's against the law. So they find a play that's titled "Springtime for Hitler," a gay romp with Adolf and Ava at Birg- at Burgess Garden. It's a love letter to Hitler, written in total sincerity by uh Franz Lipkind, played by Kenneth Mars. And oh boy, <laughs> is he a, is he a delight? Because it's very clear that. Um, it's very clear that Franz loves the Fuhrer. He misses the fatherland. <laughs> very much so. He, he's, he's like, it's kind of like um, sometimes when you, when you talk to people and they're like, well, so and so did nothing wrong. So in this case, Franz's mindset is like, Hitler did nothing wrong. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this is already proving to be a great time. Indeed. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite things leading up to it. So they go to the apartment, right? And the concierge, the woman just hanging out the window is like, what are you doing here? I'm the concierge of the apartment. You I can't let you in unless you let me know who you're looking for, because I'm the concierge. My husband was once the concierge and but And he died. So now I'm the concierge. So I ain't letting you up until you tell me what's going on. And it's like, oh, we're looking for France Lipkin oh he's on the top floor room 20 I think you're not gonna find him there though he's up there with birds lots of birds and he she's not kidding he's up there with a lot of birds and uh, I love how like they things like uh Franz Lipkin no you are not taking me uh I'm an I am an American I love America uh <laughs> I think I don't know if he starts quoting uh I think it's like oh I think it's oh America the beautiful or the um the star spangled banner i forget but he just like the the times he's trying to prove that he's uh, that he's like oh no i like america he starts singing like american songs <laughs> god bless you mel brooks so uh mel brooks um is is a is a jewish <laughs> is a jewish uh filmmaker jewish american filmmaker and uh the fact that he's writing this movie about <laughs> And he direct he wrote and directed this movie about a couple guys trying to create trying to create a screen uh, a play adaptation of a Hitler play. Um The irony alone is electrifying, <laughs> and damn it, the humor is great. Um, yeah, because
0: this is this is what like twenty five years after World War Two.
1: Yeah, not, yeah, nineteen sixty seven. The war ended in about tail end of nineteen forties for so, but. Yeah, I would say so in in this case, I think, I think so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the play is, the play is itself quite interesting to say the least, because in the play it's essentially, well, as he said, it's essentially a, a love letter to, um, Hitler, but, um, I love the process that they have, that they find for it. Um, so, and they're doing everything they can to make sure that this play is a, um, is a sure flop because if, a if a play flops, that means they get a good amount of revenue back and no one's ever the wiser. Everyone's like, here's your money back or whatnot. And it's like, okay, we're good. And so they're doing everything they can to mess this play up all in the grand scheme of things. So what I like is that, <laughs> so Max's money, oh, Max, so Max. This is the way he raises the money. He just goes to all of these old women who lo- who want to see him make a play again. You're not and, gonna uh, see
0: me. F- you're not gonna see me for a day or two.
1: <laughs> you're not gonna see me for a day or two. And and uh, Gene Leo's just like, oh, well, that's great. <laughs> okay. And so uh, so he goes and romances all these women. It's so uncomfortable to watch. I'm just. Because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hilarious. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just like, oh, this is very, very
0: mm, okay. Well, well, the fact that that's the only way to that he can raise funds for for his play.
1: (laughs) Still, that's that's so uncomfortable to me, to say the least. Like, do you really want to like, do you really want to get in touch with all these women?
0: Oh, boy. I mean, Uh, I mean, like he's. He's doing it to, to raise money for his play. So it's like it. I think that's that's part of what makes it so funny is that he's that fucking desperate.
1: I mean, I did write the note here myself. Well, you know what they say about desperate times. So it is true. Um, <laughs> And then what's so then this is only this is a pretty short film, actually. It's only about an hour and a half. What I like about it is that it moves at a pretty for an hour and a half. It moves at a pretty fast pace like they already with it within that same five minutes that we meet Max and Leo, they already pretty much established the problem that they need to do that they have. And then like, this is their goal of how they're going to, uh, take care of the problem. Like that's pretty fast, uh, screenwriting. That's pretty good screenwriting right there to pretty much like, well, you know, this is what this is. We're just going to go right into it, folks. And, uh, please enjoy the time. <laughs> and so, they hire as many people as they hire the people that they think will kill this play. So they hire Roger Roger de or Roger de Bois, uh, a director whose play is closed on the first day of rehearsal. And when they meet him, they learn that oh, apparently he lives very flamboyantly. Um, there's no sugarcoating around this. He likes to cross dress, um, or, d- or is he cross dressing, or is he? Would you say it's cross dressing? I'm I'm trying to. see.
0: Yeah, essentially.
1: Well, I will say. I mean, like his his wardrobe assistant definitely, definitely is all for it too. Um, or and just his assistant in general. But uh, yeah, he's very much, very much. I mean, like I you have to remember at the time cross dressing wasn't really something like that. Yeah, wasn't really as accepted, whatnot. Um, and so. Probably seeing that in 1967 would have definitely polarized a bunch of people. But uh, I, I do like the comment of like, um, I think it was, I think it's Leo who says like, he's wearing a dress is like, go along with it. <laughs> God damn it. This comedy is great. You can definitely see the beginnings of like how Mel Brooks's career starts with this movie just with certain dialogue like that. And then they put in, they put in that ad for the play itself. Um, like auditions and just seeing all those like Hitler actors all there would just make, I'm just like, Oh my God, just seem like a Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler. I'm like, Oh my God.
0: <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> this is, this is pretty freaking crazy. <laughs> we well, yeah, plus like, because again, like I went to this movie completely blind and the moment like that started happening, I'm like, Oh fuck, they're really going for this. Okay.
1: I mean, it's Mel Brooks, you know. He's all for that shock and awe. I mean, this is the same man who would like make Blazing Saddles. Like we, we got talk Dick about this. yes, we, we we're, do. We're
0: talking Blazing Saddles. That movie.
1: Yes, we are. And I'm oh. and, and, like, that's a movie I'm totally up for. One of the so one of the potential actors portraying a Hitler or auditioning for Hitler, I have here in my notes. He sounds like Marvin the Martian. Dick Shawn? Um, uh, No, not him. The other, uh, just like one of the, no one of the guys before him. So he's like. I'm here to audition for the play or whatnot. I'm like, oh, you sound like Marvin the Martian. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> By the way, I love how I I love how like the director is just like these guys barely even start, and this guy's thank you next. <laughs> and then you have Dick Sean coming up playing Lorenzo Saint Dubois, aka LSD. A little bit on the nose there, uh, Mel.
0: i hate it it explains a lot and uh yeah so i want to talk about Dick sean for a moment because this uh that man was a fucking comedy legend well before you go
1: there can i just say how ironic is it that he he's playing a hippie in the movie and it's the hippie that plays one of the most violent people in all of history (laughs) yep
0: So the uh, first time I saw Dick Shawn was uh, was in uh, "It's a Mad 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 World," which another one we definitely have to talk about.
1: I forgot about that
0: movie, yeah. and he is so fucking good at just playing insane characters, like uh, like because it's really hard to be uh, to have that level of uh, like clear insanity, but also being really fucking funny at the same time. Like trying to balance those two out; other otherwise, you just sound like an obnoxious asshole. That's that's just like screaming all your dialogue. But Dick Sean was uh, was one of those uh, was one of those comedic actors that because uh, I I need to see more of his uh, filmography, but every time I've seen him, like he just he nails that. And I've, I've seen some of his stand up, and oh, it's wonderful.
1: I don't know if I've ever seen some of his stand up. It's been a long time since I've seen. Um... It's a mad, 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 mad world as well. I remember actually seeing. Did you see the remake by any chance, Rat Race? Oh, of course. Um, I just remember. I just remember uh, a lot of goofy things happened in that movie because I was way too young to understand what the fuck was going on. The only thing I remembered was, well, as a kid, was like, oh, Smash Mouth at the end. <laughs> I didn't realize that John Lovitz gets in trouble because he unfortunately sticks his middle finger up and it's, and it hurts. And unfortunately, are you insane?
0: This is Hitler's car.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then unfortunately, unfortunately like, uh, because of his middle finger, uh, hurt and whatnot, he pisses off a biker gang and then they find themselves at a, uh, I'm not sure what it was, but like, unfortunately he's got like the Hitler mustache on at one point and I just know someone shoots him.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. No. So he, uh, so the, uh, uh, so the the wife finds a uh uh the wife finds black uh, finds a black lipstick in the glove box and uh. John Lovett reaches for it he smears it on the on the steering wheel and then the uh he touches the cigarette lighter that burns his hand so then he flips off the, or uh, unintentionally right. <laughs> fl- flips off the biker the biker smashed the car the uh uh they then crash through the building and then that lunges him forward and the cigarette lighter launches into his mouth. And so he has a little Hitler stash and then he's getting up on stage trying to, trying to like uh, say like, like someone like go, call the call the police, we were just attacked. But he like, he's just like speaking in mumbles and then he's at a fucking like World War II veteran, <laughs> veteran spot. And he's like pounding on the podium and everything. And the World War II vet just fucking shoots at him.
1: Okay, so I think. Oh right! I, think when I we didn't do, watch uh, Rat Race
0: again, man. That movie's great.
1: I think when we, uh, w- I think for that one, we should probably do a uh, compare contrast, kind of like our first episode for uh, Footloose, and just do uh, a Mad 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 World and Rat Race. It,
0: I mean, at least like uh, those two alone, like they have the basic plot structure, but the way that they execute their their jokes and everything like it's just a radically different uh different type of humor so it's it's uh i don't know like it it's one of those movies that uh, you know it, it's kind of like uh it, it'd be like comparing earth versus the flying saucers to independence day you mm. know it's like yeah like they they share the same basic premise but in execution they're they're radically different
1: so then, when you come, so then when you come to something like this, the producers, and then anything of Mel Brooks's work. I mean, obviously, when you watch Mel Brooks's, this is like one of the first, because most of Mel Brooks's work is a lot of satire on a lot of like other popular stuff. So, like for example, um, when you watch something like *Blazing Saddles*, it's a um, it's a satire on everything westerns. *Young Frankenstein* is essentially a parody on all the universal monster movies and then when you see something like, see something like spaceballs especially spaceballs that's a parody on everything science fiction and especially Star Wars my so, my where We're the indeed. real money from the movie is made spaceballs the space spaceballs the flamethrower the kids love this one <laughs> comb the desert we ain't found shit. <laughs> So it's very inter- so when you mention that it's very interesting when you watch this. I mean, like, I mean, there definitely is satire in this in terms of like making fun of Hitler. Because let's be honest, again, that's not something that that's not something that a lot of people have the balls to do. Because that's that's especially very back much, back especially back then. I mean, probably, e- probably, I'm not sure even if today you could get away with that. Especially with like woke culture and cancel culture, like. Even then, like I don't think it's well, PC yeah, to mean, make fun I mean, of. I that. mean, yeah, like
0: M- Mel Brooks could not happen today. So that that's that's why I think you know his films are so fucking important, especially especially today.
1: And that, I mean, you can definitely see the beginnings of this in this film too. So I mean, just the fact that like I, again, I think the I think the biggest part of it too is like look at Franz Liebkind, who is essentially like a nazi who loves or oh, he's an ex-nazi but you can clearly tell that he loves hitler and like wants to tell the world wants to share his vision to the world that like hitler was not a bad person um even though that's clearly, even though everyone knows that like clearly he's a nutcase because it's true but it's just so hilarious that like we're trying to that like Millbrook's brooks is basically uh Trying to convince you that oh, um, Hitler wasn't so bad, especially in this little play here. Um, and so yeah, there's a lot of great satire in this in term that like it's the kind of satire that, as Jeff mentioned, you can't really get away with today because a lot of people just get like really upset and PC, and uh, they would just admit, immediately say this movie needs to go in the garbage. But like I think you need that kind of satire because it helps kind of show well, the lunacy of what's going on in the current day as well.
0: Well, you comedy know? is about pushing the boundaries, and if you're if you hold back on that, then comedy just it it falters. You know, mm-hmm. like like there's no like it, it, it's like if you try to uh, to watch a politically correct stand up comedy routine, it's the most unbearable shit you'll ever see because they're always holding back because they're worried about pushing pushing any buttons and you can't fucking do that, but you watch someone like Dave Chappelle and he fucking kills it every time he does a special because him and Bill Burr. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they're not afraid to go there and we always need comedians like that. You know, especially, I mean, like, like, uh, George Carlin, especially is probably is one of the fucking greatest, like, uh, just, uh, Ugh, I, I can go on forever about George Carlin.
1: Well, George Carlin is one of those comedians. Like, if you watched his standup, it was almost like watching an R-rated TED talk, wasn't it? Because it
0: basically it, it really was. Because it's yeah. like uh, he had this, uh, he had this one, uh, this one routine, just, com- just like t- complaining about uh, about parents uh, not disciplining their kids, and it is one of the funniest fucking things ever because of, because of the way he was able to not only make you laugh, but also make you realize, Oh, he's actually just telling the truth. He's just making (laughs) you laugh while doing it. (laughs) And that's where I think the best comedians are able to really perfect their, their craft because there's always the best comedy is always around a morsel of truth.
1: And I, that is definitely something I agree. And especially, I mean, it is unfortunate that we live in this time of day and age where comedy is under attack. It's like Jeff said, like people, guys like Dave and Bill, those, those guys are unafraid of like the current climate and they're not afraid of telling it as it is. And a lot of people don't like hearing that truth. And so they try and cancel them. But I mean, like I remember when I think one of Dave Chappelle's specials came out on Netflix and it got panned. Apparently, like Rotten Tomatoes gave it like well, like the consensus the the consensus on Rotten Tomatoes was a zero percent like critical rating, but the audience rating was like through the roof. Yeah, so that no, really kind of exactly. goes to show the disconnect too. Well, plus and like then,
0: and then you, and then you see the inverse on on like a fucking Amy Schumer special, where it's like it's uh like like the the critics will will just suck that thing's dick. But then the, the, uh, the general audience consensus is, no, this fucking sucks. So there's, there's always just like this complete, like there's no, uh, it, it's like critics and audiences, uh, you know, it, it goes beyond just stand-up comedies. Like it seems to apply to a lot of movies and shows now where everyone is just on two completely different uh, wavelengths.
1: I think that's really kind of going to go to show the disconnect between audiences and critics these days. Isn't it like, you know, critics loved apparently critics really love. So I'm going to use some popular movies, if you will, like critics really loved the last Jedi audiences, fucking hated that movie. Critics really loved, um, something like Captain Marvel audiences did not like that movie. um, and then I think, shit, I, I'm not sure what it was, but like, I'm trying to remember like another popular movie that I'm trying to think of one where like audiences really loved. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some that audiences really loved, but critics despised. Um, well, that's almost like every movie kind of almost that isn't like perceived as like a masterpiece or whatnot, isn't it? I guess. Oh, no, I, I can think of one. Um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, like. Critically speaking, like people tore that movie to shreds, but like the audience score was like through the roof almost with that one too.
0: But yeah, I mean, because- me and
1: Jeff talked about that at length as well. Check out our episode on uh, Godzilla King of the monsters. Um, but uh for more information on that movie, but, but yeah, but then again, that movie wasn't trying to do anything like too ridiculous. It was trying to tell uh, like a fun monster movie about Godzilla finally facing King Ghidorah in an American adaptation with Rodan and Mothra and I think that's all you really needed. Well yeah,
0: well plus like I think that's why pretty much a majority of all audiences have enjoyed the Monsterverse movies so much is because they're not trying to be anything beyond what they what they advertised. They're fucking monster movies. Like there's no there's no higher uh political or social message that they're trying to Trying to implement under the surface, it's like, no, it's it, it, like, you come to see a movie like Godzilla versus Kong, you want to see the big mon- monkey punch the big lizard in the fucking face. That's exactly mm-hmm. what you got. And that movie made a shitload of money. Like, uh, because I feel like that movie came out at the perfect time because that was kind of the right, that was like the best movie to welcome audiences back to the theater.
1: So then when you look at something. Like the producers, as I mentioned, apparently because of its subject material, that was something that critics really frowned upon. And uh, it, it and as a result, it got really mixed reviews, but it got became a cult film as a result. But then it, it was a cult film at first for a very long time. And then as a result, because of it, the film became more widely celebrated as a as a satire i mean again for fuck's sake brooks won the i mentioned again yeah he won the best oscar for uh, the oscar for best original screenplay um and uh i mean the subject material in it itself is i mean again it's a comedy about a couple guys trying to make a play about humanizing hitler satirizing hitler that that's not something you can do like easily isn't it again and so mel no, this goes to show that Mel Brooks, even back then had the balls to like make fun of topics like this, especially when you get to something like blazing saddles where, um, so, so just a sneak peek of how, of what to expect from when we talk about blazing saddles, that future, the main star is essentially a black sheriff. And you can just think of all the racist things that are going on with that, the under, yeah, the racial undertones with that, uh, idea and concept to begin with, And uh, that's just Mel Brooks just pushing the envelope once again. And uh, you can definitely see here the beginnings of what will become Mel Brooks's career in this film, especially, again, through the play of Springtime for Hitler. Um, The play itself. um, How about that opening number? (laughs) Springtime for Hitler.
0: (laughs) It's like, Springtime for Hitler. (laughs) Yeah, my... I remember like my my mouth was wide open and I was just chuckling all throughout like, oh, my fucking God.
1: <laughs> By the way, so like there is one th- during the uh, during one. Did you notice the one guy during there is like so some of the guys, some of the performers were dubbed. Did you catch Mel Brooks's voice during that? I did.
0: I did. Yeah. Mel Brooks <laughs> has such a distinct voice that cause I think he I mean, like aside from something like uh well, like in Blazing Saddles and uh, Spaceballs, you know, he has like a uh, like he did. I think actually, no, I'm pretty sure he plays like at least a small role in all of his movies.
1: This is like the one movie where he doesn't. I think it's, it's just a small cameo. But yeah, yeah I think you're right.
0: like he's always at least featured
1: because mm-hmm. like in in because um, like in Mel- in um, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, he plays Rabbi Tuckman. So it's a play. So instead of Friar Tuckman, it's Rabbi Tuckman. Um, in Spaceballs, President Screw of uh, of Spaceball one, <laughs> and then um, in and also in Spaceballs, it's uh, Yogurt. So he's playing the Yo- the Yoda um, parody. So he's already doing double ditty on that. Um, I'm trying to remember who he is in um, in Blazing Saddles. We'll probably rem- I'll probably finally figure who that is who it is that he plays when we get there. But yeah, it's, it's already, you can, even then, like you could tell, like he was involved, like in, in front of the camera too, not just behind the camera as well. But, um, but yeah, that, that opening performance that's already, you can tell like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> like ever I just remember seeing like all the, like the, like the female dancers at the beginning, like in their Vegas showgirl-like outfits, I'm like, oh god, they're really trying to show that Hitler is not that bad of a guy. <laughs> He's um, om- and then like when um, so when uh, LSD plays Hitler, and he seems like, yeah, baby, all right, um, oh shit, <laughs> that's right, we're uh, um, um, we're Germans. That's right. <laughs> He's basically playing him as a goofball, and uh, which is which is hilarious already to begin with, and like, so it does lead into, it does lead into the ultimate con, the ultimate consequence. So like, so as you know, of course, Max and Leo, they're trying to make sure that this movie's a flop. It backfires in their faces because apparently everyone fucking loves this play. And they're like, shit, we're fucked. <laughs> Cause then that means so, because if the plays a hit, that means they want more, they want more financial returns uh, for future performance or future yeah future performances and they're like we don't have the money for that we're going to jail and so and then during the entire time too Franz is watching his play go to shit is like he he hates that they're that they've made a mockery of it and he also the other thing is like he also tries to close the curtains and is like this is a mockery of everything but uh the audience the audience just thinks it's another part of the performance which is hilarious <laughs> and so uh, And so, um, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when, um, is when Max is, he cannot believe that the play is a success. He's like, I was so careful. I picked the wrong play, the wrong director, the wrong cast. Where did I go? Right. (laughs) Where did I go? Right. (laughs) Right. And then, like his secretary, and uh, we forgot to mention his secretary, who really doesn't really speak English. <laughs> um, she's Hello, just like secretary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's just saying weird. She's just saying random phrases that he taught her to say. And then, like, uh, I remember, like, when they come back from the play, she's like, she unrubs Is like, make love time. He's like, no, no, not none of that. Go go to work and she's like okay and her, her idea of going to work is apparently just like putting on a record and just dancing <laughs> <laughs> good god mel this brooks movie doesn't give a fuck does it you can again this is clear again it's the, you can see again in this movie just the beginnings of just how mel brooks clearly doesn't give a fuck in terms of like what audiences are going to think it was like audiences you're either going to have fun with this movie or you're not. I'm just here to make sure everyone's entertained. And like, if I make fun of a lot of people, I'm sorry, but uh, that's how it works all in the end. That's comedy. And that's satire, like you either get with it or you don't get with it. That's just what it is. And uh, um, when Franz tries to shoot, Franz comes in, he's like, he tries to shoot him. And uh, they're, they're all deciding, like, you know what? We're going to blow up the building instead. And uh, that even backfires, too. And uh, I love their trial, by the way. All the old women are like behind them. (laughs) And then like uh, (laughs) and then like and then the judge is like, uh, Mr. Foreman, how do you find how do you find the defendants? We, the jury, find the defendants incredibly guilty. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure a jury is not supposed to say incredibly guilty. They're just supposed to say guilty. But for all intents and purposes, for comic for comedic timing, of course, fuck it. Why not? (laughs) why not just go ahead and just say they're incredibly guilty i mean of course they are they basically are committing fraud um financial fraud but um you know there's a little bit of uh nice there's a little nice tender moment so like leo i like how leo basically states you know like max here he's the most selfish man i have ever met in my life but he also says that because of him like no one ever called me Leo. Everyone called me by my last name, Bloom. But he called me Leo, and for that, he changed my life for the better. And uh, Max is like, "I've learned my lesson." Cut to: they're in the state penitentiary, <laughs> and they're already putting together a new play called uh, "Prisoners of Love." Um, and we don't, and um, we actually aren't sure how it's supposed to turn out. But the implication is that it's going to be actually worse than springtime for Hitler because they're actually trying to make a good play. And also, um also, so the way that the way that um Leo continues their old scam, he's overselling the shares of the play to the fellow prisoners. Like, you own 20%, you own 20%, you own 20%. Um tell the warden he can get have fifty uh, percent. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> like, good God. And you're just You just can't, and like, and you're just in awe of like, yep. I just watched a Mel Brooks movie, and I mean, I have loved Mel Brooks movies. Um, I think the first one I ever saw was Robin Hood Men in Tights. I could be mistaken. I've seen bits, and I I remember used to watch bits and pieces of Blazing Saddles on TV here and there, along with Spaceballs. Eventually, I finally watched Spaceballs, and I fell in love with that movie. And then I eventually saw Blazing Saddles, and I'm like, this is fucking gold. Especially when, like they, because Blazing Saddles is like one of the greatest wall-breaking mo- fourth wall-breaking movies. <laughs> like, has one of the best fourth wall-breaking scenes I've ever seen, where essentially they break in.
0: <laughs> Don't ruin it. We'll we'll yeah, save it. Let's
1: not ruin it. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, it's just what a what a fun time from start to finish. Um, and it really just goes to show that like it's kind of sad that you can't really make a movie like this
0: again, especially given the climate that we're in. But Actually, I don't know since we're on that, I have a quote from Mel Brooks himself. Society's stupidly politically correct sensibilities will lead to the death of comedy. Truth. Um, can you repeat that quote one more time? Society's stupidly politically correct sensibilities will lead to the death of comedy
1: society's stupidly <laughs> I'm trying to do it in his voice. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so, well, that was, that was that folks, um, uh, in terms of that movie. So Jeff, um, it sounds to me like you really enjoyed this movie.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I think going into it completely blind, definitely enhanced my experience. Uh, cause it's, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know, uh, it's very, it's hard to describe it. Uh, so much happens. Uh, like there's just so many great, uh, there's bombastic moments of laugh out loud comedy. There's, there's subtle moments. There's, I feel like this is definitely one of those movies that you're going to pick up on new gags every, uh, every time you, you rewatch it. And I'm definitely going to be re- rewatching this movie. It's, it's comedy gold.
1: Yeah, this is definitely I definitely want to watch this movie again because I'm like, I kind of got lost on some of the stuff, some of the comp. Yeah, some of the comedy I was kind of lost on it. But like, I think another rewatch will definitely make me appreciate this movie a lot more, especially, especially. I don't know. I think seeing every other Mel Brooks movie that I've mentioned that I've seen um, definitely helped my experience with this one. Because like I mean I already know what to expect from a Mel Brooks movie, but seeing as this was his directorial debut, I was very curious to see like how it, how he kind of got started. And like this movie is a good testament of like his origins. Like you can kind of tell like you can kind of tell like oh so this is how this started here. This is how that started there. Okay, right on. So I'm like right on. This this I like this. I like that. Right on. Like okay, so this is this is like this is where he got his like timing. This is where like, this is where, this is what probably inspired this or whatnot. So I'm really fascinating. I'm really, I'm, I'm curious because when we, especially when we watch blazing saddles, I'm very curious to see the new, to see the compare and contrast of like how, how like Mel Brooks has come uh, since the producers. And I'm very looking forward to seeing that. Um, i'm actually, I'm also actually kind of curious to see the two thousand and five remake that um that came out um at the t- in that year or so because that I'm curious how that turns out it's probably i mean the thing is like even though it's not directed by mo Brooks, it is written and produced by him so I mean I'd be curious to see how that movie turns out in the long run um, but yeah i'm very I'm very glad I finally watched this and i I'm I'm like, I'm looking, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about more Mel Brooks in the future for sure. But, um, yeah, that's, that was, uh, that was the producers, everybody. It's a highly en- enjoyable, uh, comedy film and I can't wait for, uh, I-, I can't wait to talk about everything else that's Mel Brooks, but Yeah, so I think that's going to do it for this week, folks. So be sure to follow the show on uh, Instagram at Tnapcast. That's T N A A P C A S T. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like and comment on the videos, and leave comments to give us further suggestions. Oh yeah, uh, channel. Yes, we do. And then we also uh, we're also on Spotify and podcasts. Those are the only platforms we are right now in terms of complete listening as well, but uh yeah that's gonna do it for this week folks so um in the meantime uh this has been one of your nerds' cases, is eric
0: you know who the fuck i am
1: <laughs> that's jeff and we're and from all of us here we're saying hi folks please stay shining everybody have a good one